Well, we're continuing our series in the book of Psalms this morning. And last week we walked through Psalm 2, the week before Psalm 1, and somebody came up to me this morning and said, I was anticipating Psalm 3. And then they saw the call to worship, or the, the, the card, and it said Psalm 98. And so they're all put off because I, <laughs> I skipped over a bunch of Psalms to get here. But Psalm 98 is a psalm that I've had a desire to speak on for a while. It is a psalm that is, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the psalms are made up of types or genres. It's poetry. The psalms are poetry, and there are seven different types of genre or types of of psalms that we read about. And last week we read through a kingdom wisdom psalm. The week before it was a wisdom psalm. And this morning we're going through a psalm, its genre is, it's a hymn of praise. It's a poetic song of pure and joyful praise to God. This psalm, its song's primary, primary focus is to lead us into loud and expressive and joyful praise. And it's to encourage us to see the greatness of God who's been loving and faithful to his creation. So turn with me to Psalm 98 and let me read that psalm to you. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the King, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Father, we we ask that you would open up your scriptures to us this morning. That you would give each of us ears to hear, eyes to see, most importantly, hearts and minds to understand. Lord, may we encounter you this morning as we study your words spoken to us. Father, I pray this morning that you would bless your people through your word. And Father, please, once again, help me to love and serve my church. In Jesus' name, amen. This is a this is a raucous psalm. It is noisy. It is joyful. It is loud. It is expressive. It is a song, a psalm of worship. The, the word psalm literally means song, and that's what this is. This is a song. I, 
I remember the very first time I walked in to a Christian charismatic meeting. I was not a Christian. I had been invited by some friends. There were about 2,000 people in this meeting. And this guy stands up and he starts singing. And I thought, oh, I'm wondering, is this a concert? But then everybody around me starts singing. And not only do they start singing, there were people raising their hands. There were people clapping. There were people dancing. And I'm thinking, I'm, I just want to find the exit as fast as I possibly can. This is the weirdest group of people I have ever been in. I didn't understand what was going on. Months later, by the kindness of God, as I came to understand the gospel and the Lord regenerated me, I began to understand what they were doing. And Psalm 98 is a psalm that calls us and draws us into this worship of God in, in an expressive and joyful manner that of all the Psalms, this, this one, it, it's not about, it doesn't compare us to anybody else. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't talk about anything but expressive, loud, joyful worship. It's similar to many Psalms in, in, with his praise and worship. But it's, and at times I think I can find it hard to distinguish some Psalms from, from one another. They all can seem about the same. You go to the later Psalms and you just... You know, you can read through Psalm, you know, oh, give thanks, 107, oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. You know, Psalm 110, or one, praise the Lord, blessed is the man who fears the Lord. I mean, just Psalm after Psalm talks about praise, but this one Psalm, this one Psalm just focuses on one, one thing, and that is, that is worshiping God. Now, there's no specific date to this psalm when it was written. We don't even know who the author is. It simply just says a psalm. It doesn't say if it's David or Korah or Asaph or one of the others. It's just a, it's a psalm that was just written for Israel. And it's a, it's a psalm that was familiar to Israel because it was one that was often sung after a specific deliverance by God. Whether it would be deliverance from uh, an attacking king, an army that was coming against Israel, deliverance from Babylon when, they, when the Israelites were freed from exile, victory over armies. And for us, reading this as New Testament believers, it's a psalm that reads about what Christ has done. The deliverance that we've experienced from sin, Satan, and death. This psalm allows us to, as, as New Testament believers, to look back. Whereas those who read this psalm initially in Israel, when they read this psalm, they, they, didn't, know, they didn't know about Christ. They, they knew about a Messiah. Their, their history would tell them that a king was coming, an eternal king. But this, but this psalm for us as believers allows us to look back and see all that Christ has done. We may not know the human author, but what we do know is that God is speaking to us in this psalm. Every time we read scripture, 
any passage in Scripture, every time we read Scripture, we should be asking ourselves certain questions. We should be looking at this passage and asking ourselves, what is God saying to me in this passage? What does he want me to learn? Is there something in my life that God wants to change through this passage? How does God want me to respond to this passage? When we read scripture, whether it's Psalm 98 or something in the New Testament or something in Genesis or even something in Leviticus, we should be asking ourselves questions. What is God saying to me? What does God want to accomplish in my life as I read this passage? Is he, is he just wanting to encourage me this morning? Is he wanting to teach me something specific? But we should be asking ourselves these kinds of questions. And we should be asking that of Psalm 98. What does the Lord want us to know from Psalm 98 this morning? What is he trying to accomplish in our lives? What does he want you to learn this morning? Well, I believe in Psalm 98, God wants us to engage him in worship. That what he wants us to learn this morning is to engage him in worship. And he does it by telling us about himself and what he has done for us both individually and corporately. So three, three points this morning from this passage. I think the first one is, who is God speaking to in this passage? That's an important question to ask. Who is God speaking to? Secondly, what is our reason for worship? What, what, does, what does the psalmist tell us our reason for worship is in this psalm? And thirdly, how are we to respond? Who is God speaking to? Well, he's specifically addressing the people of God. He's addressing Israel initially when the psalmist writes that or when God is speaking to us, but he's also addressing us as the people of God. He's not just dress, addressing humanity in general. He's addressing God's people, the very ones who would be willing to worship him, the ones who would read a psalm like this. He's addressing us this morning. He's talking to you this morning, and he has something to say. The author is speaking to those who have seen, as we read in verse 1, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. He's speaking to those who have seen him do marvelous things. And Israel, time and time and time again, throughout its history, even as it strayed, Israel saw God do marvelous things. And have you not, as those who have come to faith in Christ, seen God do marvelous things in your lives. And so this psalm speaks to you. The word salvation in this first section, three times the word salvation comes about. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. The Lord has revealed his salvation to us and all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God Salvation here means victory. God has won the victory for us. For the Israelites, he won the victory over armies. He won the victory over exile. He won the victory over those who would enslave them. He won the victory. And for us as New Testament believers, he's won the victory in Christ. Christ. 
our salvation has been won through Jesus Christ. He is speaking to his people. He is telling his people of his steadfast love in verse 3 and his faithfulness, the covenant that God promises to keep. He is speaking to us, those who have come to faith in Christ. And as you read these words, it's not to some ancient Near Eastern group of people that these words are relevant today. They're relevant to us. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. For he has done marvelous things. That is who God is speaking to. Secondly, what is our reason for worship? Because he's speaking to us to worship. The question is, what is our reason for worship? Well, he has done marvelous things. He's done marvelous things. The most marvelous is that Christ is our Savior. He's worked salvation for us, and in his holiness and in his power, he's won a victory for us. God is our Savior. That is the first thing that we learn in this passage, that he has worked salvation for us. That is our reason for worship. We have a Savior. You have a Savior this morning. You have one who has come and shed his blood on a cross so that you could be here this morning thinking of the marvelous things God has done. And there are many marvelous things. And it's small things, it's large things. But you see the work of God in your life every day. You might think of yesterday's hayride and bonfire event as just a fun church community event, which is exactly what it is. But I see it as a marvelous thing. I see it as a work of God that he has brought together people from all different walks of life. He has brought together a group of folks to be friends and family, to care for one another, to pray for one another. Those kinds of events tie us together. They knit us together. They unite our hearts together. That is the marvelous work of God. He has done marvelous things. And through us, he continues to do marvelous things. Look at verse 3. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. He is using us to display more marvelous things, that the salvation of God would be known through the earth. He's put us on mission together. We have a reason to worship because God is our Savior We also have a reason to worship that God is our king. He is the one who rules and reigns over all. We have a sovereign God whose decrees are true and just and right. We have a sovereign God who reigns over all and nothing happens in our life that doesn't happen under God's sovereign wisdom and care. He is God the king. Look at verse Four, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Sing praises to the Lord with the lyre, with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of the horn. Make a joyful noise before the king. 
Not only is God our Savior, He is our King. He is the King. Christ is the King that is in the line of David who was promised the eternal King whose reign will never end. That's our reason for worship. God is speaking to us. He's given us a Savior. He's given us a King. And He's also given us a judge. Look at verses 7 through 9. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness. There's a day that he will come and he will judge all. And we will stand before the the judgment seat of Christ. And what will that judgment be? What will that judgment be as you stand before the throne? Will Christ stand in your place at that time? Will the righteousness of Christ be your clothing? Will God see Christ in you, the hope of glory? Or will that judgment be a day of tragedy and weeping? Well, for the people of God, which is us, it will be a day of rejoicing that God, the judge who judges rightly, will judge us fairly through Christ on that day. That's our reason for worship. We have a Savior. We have a King. We have a judge. Now, if you are not born again, if you are not a Christian, and I'm not going to assume that everybody in this room is necessarily born again, my appeal to you is respond to the gospel. Put your faith and trust in Christ. That on that day you will not be judged for your sins, but you will be judged through Jesus Christ. Psalm 98 is a psalm that calls us to worship this God who is our Savior, this God who is our King, this God who is our Judge. The first readers of this psalm did not know Christ who is the Savior. They did not know Christ who is the King. They did not know Christ who is the Judge. But we do. We do. And it's, it may seem a bit strange. This, this church, you show up on a Sunday morning and you've got wonderful leaders in, in Garrett and Abe leading us in worship and, and the band playing and, and you're singing and you're worshiping God. And you think, why why would Larry teach a psalm about worship? We're worshiping. But there's a reason this psalm is here for us. There's a reason that God is teaching us, not only in this psalm, but all the psalms, but in this psalm in particular, that the psalmist is encouraging us and exhorting us and challenging us 
on how we're to respond. And that's the third point. How are we to respond? We're to respond loudly and joyously and excitedly in songs of praise. And this is uncomfortable in our culture. Excitement is not the most comfortable thing for us in church. Now, later today, it will be. Right about one o'clock. It's amazing to look, to look at people on a Sunday morning and, and they're worshiping. They're, praise God, you know, from whom all blessings flow. And they're, they're there worshiping. But then see them on a Sunday afternoon when one of the linebackers on their team puts somebody out. Yeah, way to go. That's it. Who's your daddy now? Yes. You turn on the game and there are people's faces painted in blue and green and yellow and red and all sorts of different colors. And they're wearing Viking helmets and cheese heads and Indian headdresses. And they're out there screaming with no embarrassment whatsoever on television. And they're jumping up and down. They're high-fiving one another. And then they show up on Sunday morning. Now maybe if we had cheese heads. (laughs) But the excitement you see at a football game, the excitement excitement you see at a baseball game, you know, that excitement should be in this room on a Sunday morning. That passion and that fervor, that, that joy should be in this room on a Sunday morning. No reservations. No holding back. Look at what the psalmist says. Look at how he challenges us. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Now, I've got a horrible voice and no ability to write songs. So when I read, oh, sing to the Lord a new song, I'm trying to relate to that. What, what does that mean? And I'm surely hoping it's somebody up here giving me a new song. But I... No one thing I can do. I can sing. I can sing. And hopefully the people next to me aren't affected. But I can sing. And then look at verse 4. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Now he says there, all the earth. Creation has been created to make a joyful noise to the Lord. But we have been created as a part of creation to make a joyful noise to the Lord. What holds you back from singing loudly a new song to the Lord? What holds you back from making a joyful noise? At a football game, everybody's crazy around you. 
And it's easy to be a part of the mob. On a Sunday morning, we shouldn't care. Now this is, I want to be very clear, this is not an admonishment in any sense. This is a, can we grow in this way? How can we grow in this way? How can we be faithful to God speaking to us to sing a new song, to make a joyful noise to the Lord? Verse 5, to sing praises to the Lord, to make a joyful noise in verse 6 before the King, the Lord, because that is who we are doing it before. We're not doing it before one another. We're not doing it for one another. We're doing it for the Lord. Let, and then the psalmist, (laughs) let all creation finally praise the Lord. Look at verse 7. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the world and all those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the hills sing for joy. Now, Now, rivers don't have hands. And hills don't have mouths to sing. And yet there's this idea that all of creation exists to make a joyful noise before the Lord. And Grace Church exists to make a joyful noise before the Lord. Grace Church exists to sing new songs to the God who has done marvelous things. Worship can become stale at times. Worship can become familiar at times. We can come in on a Sunday morning and... Yeah, we've just done this before. This is what we do on Sunday morning. We kind of clap and we raise our hands and, you know, and we shout now and again and, and, you know, and that's what we do. But it can be much, much more. And there are, I think, reasons why we can grow, subtle reasons why we can grow a bit dispassionate about worship. I think two things can subtly affect our worship. I think number one is we make assumptions. And two, we are forgetful. The assumption is, is that we're doing really great in worship. That the depth of worship, the depth of our hearts, what's going on in our hearts is, is fine. Rather than coming in and assuming something different, assuming I, I'm here to give full expression to God of my faith in Him and my trust in Him. I'm coming here to meet God. I hope that's why you're coming on Sunday morning, that you're coming to encounter the Lord. 
That's the purpose of gathering together as the people of God. That's what corporate worship is about. It's about encountering God together. So let's, let's not make assumptions, but let's also not be forgetful. Our worship must be informed by what we know about God. It has to be informed by what we remember about God, all the marvelous things he has done for us. Israel had a tragic history of forgetting God. It's not surprising for the psalmist to talk about the marvelous things God has done. Israel has tragically, time and time again, they forgot the marvelous things. In Judges 3.7, the, the epitaph over Israel is they forgot God. In 1 Samuel 12.9, again, they forgot God. In Psalm 78.11, they forgot God. Let me read that to you. They forgot his works and the wonders he had shown them. Psalm 106 13, the same thing over Israel again, but they soon forgot his works. In Psalm 106, 21, they forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. They forgot. They forgot. How often in your private devotions or in your public worship do you recount the deeds of the Lord? Do you remember what he has done? Do you remember the marvelous things God has done for you? That's what makes worship joyful. That's what creates a new song within us. That's what excites us to worship God. Worship is rooted in history. The history of God and his marvelous acts. Worship is rooted in our history with God individually and corporately. When you worship in private and in public Let me ask you to think of specific acts that God has done. There's, I asked the worship team this morning to prepare a song for us at the end, a song that was written specifically from Psalm 98. And when I came in this morning, they were laughing as they were singing this song because it's October, it's not December. See, the song by Isaac Watts, Joy to the World, was written from Psalm 98. It wasn't written as a Christmas song. It was written as a song to sing a new song to the Lord, to declare the marvelous things that he has done. It was written to sing about God as Savior, God as King, God as Judge. It was written to sing about the one who rules the world. And all that is in it. Psalm 98 was the basis for joy to the world. It's not a Christmas song. Though it is for us. And Larry Earls told me that you just don't sing Christmas songs in October. (laughs) I told him, well, we're singing this Christmas song in October. So if you see him go sit in his car till the song is over... Isaac Watts 
wrote a song that has touched generation after generation after generation. And he wrote it from this song. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Now, now look at verse 8 or verse 9. There's a hidden gem in verse 9. The psalmist writes, Before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes. Now, when the psalmist wrote this, he wasn't aware of the coming of Christ. But it was a prophetic psalm. And he had a hope that one day the king would come. And the king has come. But we sing today with a prophetic hope, with a, with a hope that the king will come again. Isaac Watts wrote this, song, this song from this psalm for generations upon generations to worship God. I know everybody in this room is created differently. You have different personalities. Some of you are very outgoing and boisterous and others are very quiet and sedate and shy. But Psalm 98 doesn't take that into account. Psalm 98 gives no room for shyness. It gives no room for sedateness. It gives, if that's a word, it gives no room. What it does is that it desires to propel us to be excited about God. If this church is not excited about God, we've got nothing to offer. But I do believe we have something to offer. So if the worship team would come forward, we're going to finish today with more worship. We're going to sing joy to the world. We're going to sing a Christmas song. But sing this song and think of, and even hold your, your Bible, look at Psalm 98 as you sing this song. And think about what God is asking you to do today.